0: good morning church today we're going to think about what it means to be at work and because it's labor day weekend and because labor day celebrates work and gives a holiday to the working man i'm going to give myself a little bit of a break and so though it's quite revised i'm actually preaching a sermon uh, that i preached from stanley park pulpit 18 years ago today now let's stop and relax a little bit. The sermon's in a more topical vein and a little lighter note, if you'll forgive the upcoming pun, because I'd like us to listen to a brief three-minute medley. And beware, not all music is to everyone's taste, but just sit back and listen to these musical themes.
1: For
2: their first record,
1: the
0: award-winning, get a job! (laughs) (laughs) Go, got go, go, go,
2: Sweat to go you go if i ever see see the song the song
0: us to get a job and Snow White reminding us that we should whistle while we work. Kind of hard to imagine that as Rita McNeil sings about the pains and the crises of being a coal miner and Dolly Parton reminds us that the job of the office worker is not always a bed of roses either. And then the women of Fifth Harmony hate that their men seem to care more about their jobs than they do about them and the contemporary group Imagine Dragons sees work as an evil necessity it's a trap but when you get money especially if you get enough money you can blow it and have some fun for a little while but it's still a trap is there any way out of this trap of? Work? take this job and shove it i ain't worried And there are so many other songs like that, but it's not just song work. And it's not just music. There's television shows and movies that deal with the subject. And of course, we think of sports as a game, but it's really a business. And the business of politics is about the business of work and our economics so much, isn't it? So much of our lives revolves around our working lives. God, think about it now some of us may not have started our official working lives yet but that first morning when you go to school or when mom tells you to pick up your toys you have begun your working career and some of us have left our official working careers behind but many of us also find our days busy with jobs sometimes paid and sometimes not now those jobs are fascinating thing sometimes they're in the context of our church we do a job sometimes it's in the context of our family we do jobs but very very often our work is seen as something outside the home and we often make our workplace very very separate from our homes and from most of our lives I want to start with thinking about that. When I was in my first pastorate, one of the things I tried to do was to visit people at their places of work for coffee or for lunch perhaps. But I found that the members of my church often seemed to be pretty shy about this, even if their workplace was fine with it. They suggest I meet them say at the McDonald's, where I didn't have to find their office uh, lobby or Their machine in the plant wasn't a good place to connect even though the power was off and foreman said sure these were good people but for some reason they were embarrassed to have the pastor at work religion and their workplace didn't seem to go together somehow so many of us live this way we can be very different people at work than we are at home or in the church, our lives not integrated. There are lots of influences on us that may lead to that, but we need to recognize that sometimes we also intentionally separate these parts of our lives. What are we to think of work? Is it something completely different from everything else we do? Is it, like Genesis seems to tell us, a curse? To Adam he said because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you you must not eat from it cursed is the ground because of it through painful toil you will eat food from it all the days of your life it will produce thorns and thistles for you and you will eat the plants of the field by the sweat of your brow you will eat your food until you return to the ground since you were taken from it for dust you are and to dust you will return toil until we die mercifully the New Testament is about redemption and it brings us to a different place and whatever you do in word or deed do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus giving thanks to God the Father through him moving down a little bit further slaves obey your earthly masters in everything and do it not only when their eye is on you and to curry favor but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord whatever you do work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord not for human masters since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward it is the Lord Christ you are serving Wow. we serve Christ in our workplace what's going on here work its actions and attitudes not to be different in the workplace or at home or in the church. That's hard for us to consider. There's a book I really, really love. It talks about where Christ is in the marketplace, whether faith is irrelevant when I'm on deadline. And if you have a chance to ever read it, I'd suggest you do. Your work matters to God. And it does. Six days you have to do your work and one to rest, says God in Exodus. And the writer of Ecclesiastes charges us to be content in our lot and happy with our work. And we know that in God's economy, the worker deserves his wages. In Luke, and if a man refuses to work, then he shall not eat. Second Thessalonians. So work matters to God. Why? And how? First of all, God is a worker. We often don't think about this but it starts in creation and through all that he does how many are your works O Lord in wisdom you made them all the earth is full of your creatures all creatures look for you to give them their food at the proper time when you give it to them they gather it up when you open your hand they're satisfied may the glory of the Lord endure forever may the Lord rejoice in his works Psalm 104 so God is a worker god also made us to be workers we're again we're going back to genesis here then god said let us make mankind in our image and in our likeness so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground so god created mankind in his own image and god blessed them and said to them be fruitful and increase in number fill the earth and subdue it Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over all the living creatures in Genesis 1. God made us to be workers. God's a worker. He made us to be workers. This is significant. God created us to be his co-workers. Psalm 8. What are mere mortals that you should think about them? Human beings that you should care for them? Yet you made them only a little lower than God and crowned them with glory and honor. You gave them charge over everything you made and put all things under their authority, the flocks and the herds and the wild animals, the birds and the sky, the fish in the sea and everything that swims in the ocean currents. God the Creator put us in charge over his creation, yet he continues to work in it, we read." Pretty significant. But does this include all work I mean I've talked about creation mostly we have seen three reasons why our everyday work is significant the fact that God is a worker argues for it the fact that people mirror God when they work argues for it and the fact that people's work is an extension of God's work argues for it but how far can we press this are we to think that God smiles on every sort of work that humans do And let me answer that by making three qualifying statements all right I want to say that first all legitimate work is an extension of God's work and by legitimate work I mean that work that somehow contributes to what God wants done in the world and does not actively contribute to what he doesn't want done work that opposes God naturally it goes without saying that most illegal work is the corruption of God's work. The prostitute, the drug pusher, and the professional thief all work but they contribute nothing to what God wants done. Indeed they destroy God's creation and purposes. There are other kinds of work that we are sometimes engaging in that although they are legal are highly questionable in terms of ethics and morality. Christians in the gaming industry, there are many Christians in Las Vegas who work in gambling, and they struggle, and some choose to leave it because they say, my conscience will not permit me to do this. Others say they have submitted it to God and that God has permitted them to do it. Now, I cannot tell you, when work is of this questionable nature, I can't go through a list and say what you can do and what you can't do. When you can support a company and when you have to say, I can no longer justify working for a company but scripture does tell us that this is a matter of conscience and that you and i am supposed to submit what i learn about my workplace learn about just about everything and say god is this what you would have me do and that means we need to live in prayer that means we need to be people who pray without ceasing if you're in a job when was the last time you prayed over your job and about your job and about the people in the job, and about the legitimacy of your work. Not easy questions. The main thing to grasp though, is that work itself as a human activity is good. Work is not an evil thing. It has been given us to God, by God. Obviously evil can affect work, but work itself is good, even when it is affected by evil. The fact that we work is a good thing. In this sense, work is a human activity, much like sex, which has certainly been corrupted by people. And although there was so much evil linked to the sex, the Bible also insists that sex is an intrinsically good thing, something given to us as a gift from God. Similarly, though work can be used for ungodly purposes, work itself and its intent is intrinsically good. And this fact holds true both for Christians and non-Christians alike. Non-Christians also participate in work and work as a mandate from God and should work because work is inherently worth doing. But we can't always expect such individuals to know or acknowledge God's perspective on work. In fact perhaps most non-Christians in our society have been seduced by the secularism of our society and they work primarily for self-driven ends and we're going to think what that means. But the same could be said of many Christians. Nevertheless, in his sovereignty, God can and does use such people to accomplish his ultimate work. And whether or not people fulfill God's purpose for their work, that does not alter the fact that God regards work and the worker as highly significant. Now, because of sin, none of our work completely fulfills God's intentions even the pastor the missionary may be doing things that are not in line with God's intentions and we're going to talk about that in a moment too we can say that God must certainly grieve when he looks at much of what happens in the marketplace and at the conditions under which many continue to work and labor many workplaces are evil the way that people are treated is completely wrong and I also can't think that God thinks much of the many trivial pursuits that pass for occupations Uh, I'm an old guy and I read about social media influencers people that online they get paid their work is to go and travel places and then to post a little video on YouTube or Instagram or someplace like that and say look at the wonderful luxurious place I'm staying in don't you wish you were here and the idea is is that it's advertising for uh, some resort for me I think that's a very trivial um, approach to what work is and you'll have to make the decision for yourself whether your work is worthwhile work and you can no doubt think of other jobs that seem to waste human and natural resources I'm not saying it's necessarily wrong to work with these items. I just think it's worth asking ourselves whether they are the best contribution we can make to God's work. I also wonder whether God smiles on the way some workers are subjected to agonizing routine and monotony. And if you are an employer or a supervisor, you need to think about this as well. Perhaps it increases efficiency to hire a worker to do the same thing, to put the same bolt in the same nut in the same hole on the same assembly line, hour after hour, day after day. But is this what God had in mind when he gave us work as a gift? Or has this work been corrupted by the fall? Does it reduce the worker who is God's co-worker created in his image to a robot? And how can we affect legislation? How can we affect our workplaces to allow them to become places where people can flourish instead of being reduced to those who are living under a curse? How can we be part of redemption? Third, the connection between the work we do and how it contributes to God's work is not always obvious, is it? Uh, You may wonder how your everyday work could possibly contribute to God's work. After all, isn't God concerned mostly with religious pursuits? I find that most secular workers feel this way, particularly those who deal with things like data and things as opposed to people. Workers in the helping professions, such as counselors, social workers, nurses, can usually imagine how their occupations might serve God. After all, by caring for humans in need, they are very godlike in their work. But suppose you're a cashier, or a data processor, or an actuary or construction laborer. Suppose your job is to sit in a cherry picker all day and repair faulty traffic signals, or you're an international currency trader for a bank and you sit in front of a monitor all day, jumping in and out of the market, trying to score a few hundred extra dollars for the bank. How could God possibly care for jobs like these? How could they in any way contribute significantly to his work in the world? To think about that, Let's think about the world's view of work in the first place. Why does this matter? Because we need to contrast God's understanding of work with the world's view of work. We can be very very affected by our culture and by the situations in which we find ourselves. The first idea is that work is a jungle and it's all about survival of the fittest. And if you only go to work to survive, that's the case. It truly is a jungle out there. You have to do whatever it takes to get the job done. Morals and integrity fall by the wayside. God is for Sunday, not for Monday. God isn't concerned with the cash register, or the tax man, or business practices. And yet as believers, we say, this can't be the whole story. God is concerned with all of the world. But some of us are trapped in this idea that work and god cannot mix there's a second viewpoint you see it by that the license plate he who dies with the most toys wins That was popular a few years ago some people go to work to prove themselves i mean how does our society define success isn't it the wealthy those who've got recognition or status who are judged successful a business person can have a string of broken marriages truly friendless, completely morally bankrupt, yet trumpeted as a success. Working to prove ourselves to ourselves and to others is not the answer. Now this one may sound a little bit better. In our society we hear that we are to work in order to fulfill ourselves and that sounds good, that it's our work that's to give meaning to our lives. But there's a problem there. Then handicapped, the jobless, the retired if they can't do the work is there no meaning to their lives and what about those in jobs which don't seem to offer much fulfillment is the old song you haul 16 tons and what do you get another day older and deeper in debt Nope. we need to go a little bit further still what is the biblical view of work well There are not two kinds of work God's work and human work the missionary or the pastor is not to be put on a pedestal that's not what God intends some Christians have this two-story view uh, and I used to believe this a long time ago but a pastor is not a better person than a tool and die maker or a nurse because they're doing God's work and we say but that nurse could be a missionary that would be better Now her work will be somehow more sanctified. It's an old view and a common view of many, and perhaps you have held it, or you know those who do. Well, work in this view is simply a consequence of sin. It's the result of that curse, and it's a punishment. So some work is good work, but that's not what God says. God was pleased with his work. Creation has value, remember? God saw all that he had made and it was very good and remember we share in God's work from Genesis mandate in nature to the New Testament mandate saying we are a royal priesthood in our days you are a chosen people a royal priesthood a holy nation God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light we are all Saints Ephesians 4:11 says and we're all called to do the work of God clergy are no better Peter in 1 Peter 2.9 goes even further, saying we're a royal priesthood called to lead godly lives among the pagans, those who don't know Christ. But even there we need to be careful. Now we can't then divide work into the easy division of sacred and secular. All good work is God's work. What can we say about work? Some Christians, taking that 2 Peter passage and others, decide that all work is going to be made sacred. And I don't have a job because work is good. I don't have a job because God wants me to work. I have a job because it's where I can share the gospel. And you've heard of street preachers? Well, here's a desk preacher. I have to speak about this very carefully because God wants us to communicate his word. God wants us to call people to Christ. We have a place in the Great Commission, but we don't go to work so we can evangelize. When God provides us the opportunities, we build relationships so we can communicate the gospel. But the work God gives us in and of itself, as we've seen in scripture, is good. Denying that denies what God has said and the value God has given us in creation. Whatever you do in word or deed do it all to the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Working with a file, working with a wrench can give glory to Jesus Christ. It's not just preaching that does it. In Colossians 3, whatever you do, in word or deed, do it all to the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. A little bit later, in Ephesians 5, we read, Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and in sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord not people because you know that the Lord will reward each one for what they do whether slave or free doesn't matter what your job is you're not doing it for your boss unless you understand that your boss is Christ no matter how bad apathetic evil your workplace supervisor may be nevertheless your job follows Jesus as your boss the other person is really secondary but following Jesus means you do the job you are called to to the best of your ability obey them not only to win their favor your bosses but as slaves of Christ and Christ will reward you for the good work that you do we don't often read this we don't often have this preached about today it used to be really really common in the 16th and 17th century we owe our employers our work as we owe god our work in his creation the great commission is broader than evangelism we are to work in the world ditch digging or bus driving or teaching is for god to glorify him in the way in which we act so if our work is to glorify god It means our attitudes need to be examined and changed it means we need to go to prayer it needs we need to say Lord how do I serve you in my workplace and not just by preaching though God calls us to be people who are compassionate and reach out to others but how do I serve you in the tasks you have given me to do because God says there is value in their tasks there's an old story a person walking by a giant building project saw four stonemasons working away. Let's say it's you that's walking there. So you walk up to the first worker and say, what are you doing? And he looks up at you and replies, what do you think? I'm here in the hot sun all day and I'm hammering away at these stupid rocks and then while I'm burning in the sun I have to haul these monsters over there and pile them up. Thanks a lot for asking. You back away. Oh. Then you see the second stonemason and ask, "What are you doing?" And he looks up at you and says, "Well, I've been building this wall for as long as I can remember. it's monotonous. The Sun is scorching hot the stones are heavy and lifting them day after day can be backbreaking. I'm not even sure if this project can be, will be completed in my lifetime but I don't care. It's a job pays the bills, helps my family that's about it and you thank him for his time. And you walk on a little ways further. You come to a third stonemason, and you ask him the same question: "Do you like your job? What are you doing?" And he looks up and says, "I love my job. I'm building a cathedral, you know. You may not see it now; it looks just like a wall. And I've been on this wall for as long as I can remember. But someday it's going to be complete. And though the work is sometimes monotonous and hot, and the stones are heavy, and and it can be backbreaking." I'm building a cathedral. I'm part of something great. Your heart's feeling a little bit better now, isn't it? It's a great thing. There's still one more person near the end of the wall. So you walk up to him and you say, "What are you doing?" And he says, "Well, I saw you talking to my friends down there. I'm doing what they're doing. I'm shaping this rock into to blocks." And then he looks up and says, "They're going to be a wall, and that wall's becoming a cathedral." And so you can say I'm building a cathedral but I love my job God gave it to me and I can glorify him in what I do I'm doing the best job I possibly can for him and sure I've been working on it as long as I can remember and the works monotonous and it's in the hot Sun and the stones are heavy and it can be back and I'm not gonna even see this project completed in my lifetime but I know that right now I'm doing what God wants me to do and it glorifies him And that's what counts. Four different views, each one progressively closer to the understanding of who God calls us to be in our labor, whatever labor he gives us. Our work is to glorify God. All we do is to glorify God. What would happen if we determined to glorify God in our work? And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. If you're radically dependent upon God, your work glorifies God and you serve a higher purpose. And just as we look at personal relationships, sometimes we have to take action if we can't glorify God in our work. We can't work in a place that will harm our spiritual lives. And then we have to choose to follow our conscience and step away we can't be partnering with darkness but can we make our work glorify god then let each be convinced in their own mind you need to understand that you are called to examine the work you do and submit it to god well we're just about done here but one more thing you may recognize this little tune. God wants us to be productive. How do we do that under horrible circumstances? Or just circumstances we don't like? It's from the movie Bridge on the River Kwai. It's a catchy tune. Just whistling, really. Sort of the kind of whistling that Snow White was telling us to do the kind of whistling that people hard at work might do to keep themselves occupied, especially if they don't have um, earphones on and are listening to uh, their phones. Now, in the movie, it's the Second World War. A battalion of British soldiers was captured by the Japanese. And the Japanese commander wants to turn the English into slave labor, like he's done with all the other people who've been captured. But the British Colonel, who we just saw there, insists that his men are not slaves. His men are designed to be workers. And he convinces the Japanese Colonel to see if he can turn his men into workers even in this environment. If they will live up to their calling. The other officers in the camp are horrified. They don't want to help the Japanese war effort. But the stubborn old Colonel, repeats that what his men need is good honest work that what's important in this situation because it'll be minimal to the Japanese effort what's important is that his men survive and thrive in the middle of horrible conditions I'd like to be an encouragement to you here today what you and I need is good honest work paid or unpaid others may scoff Rebel. Others may remain slaves to the curse, and that's a horrible thing. Satan looks on when that's the case. He smiles. He doesn't understand. But we understand that we aren't slaves to the curse anymore. That all the work we do can be done to the glory of God the Father, and we will serve Him in every way possible and that's a glorious glorious thing
3: Say, take this bread, take this wine. Now, the simple made divine for any to receive by your. Every trial that we face And none too lost To be saved None too broken or ashamed All are welcome in this place By your mercy We come to your table By your stole
1: Now, in obedience of Jesus' command, we are going to partake in his body that was given, represented by the bread that we will partake, and his blood that was shed for our sins on the cross, represented by the juice that we will drink together in a moment. I would invite you to now get these elements ready at home, and then we will proceed with the words of Institution. To its blessing and fellowship, all disciples of the Lord Jesus, who have repented of their sins and are following him in newness of life by the Spirit, may come and partake of this table. This is not our table, but the table of our Lord. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took a loaf of bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body that is given for you. Do this. In remembrance of me, I would now encourage you participating at home to return a prayer, either aloud or in the quietness of your heart, a prayer thanking God for the bread, symbolizing the body of Jesus given for us. Let's pray. let us now eat this bread in remembrance of Jesus' sacrifice for us. In the same way, Jesus took the cup also after supper saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. I would now encourage you uh, once again to say a prayer of thanks for the cup symbolizing Jesus' blood that was shed for our sins. Let us pray. Jesus said, This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Drink this in remembrance that Jesus' blood was shed for you and be thankful. And so, into God's gracious keeping we would commit each other. May the Lord make his face to shine upon us and be gracious to us. May the Lord lift up the light of his countenance upon us and give us his peace in our going out and in our coming in, in our lying down and in our rising up, in our labor and in our leisure, in our laughter and in our tears, until we come to stand before him in that day in which there is no sunset and no dawn. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord now and forevermore. Amen. The Lord bless you.